This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah 32, we're looking uh, verses 1 through 44, although we won't actually read all of them, we will refer to them. Uh, Page 660 in the Pew Bible. Hear the word of God. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was at the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon, uh, was Nebuchadnezzar, of course, uh, was besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, has imprisoned him, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord? Behold, I am giving this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, see him eye to eye. And he shall take Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall remain until I visit him, declares the Lord. Though you fight against the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. In other words, the king saying, well, why do you keep saying that? Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me, behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you and say, buy my field that is at Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. And Hanamel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, buy my field that is at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field at Anathoth from Hanamel, my cousin, and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions and the open copy, and I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, son of Maseiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my cousin, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. I charged Baruch in their presence, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware vessel, that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. After I'd given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, it is you who has made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel, Mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. 
You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, and to this day in Israel and among all mankind, and have made a name for yourself as, it, as at this day. You brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, and with great terror. And you gave them this land, which you swore to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they entered and took possession of it. But they did not obey your voice or walk in your law. They did nothing of all you commanded them to do. Therefore, you have made all this disaster come upon them. Behold, the siege mounds have come up to the city to take it. And because of sword and famine and pestilence, the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans who are fighting against it. What you spoke has come to pass, and behold, you see it. Yet you, O Lord God, have said to me, Buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? And then the Lord rehearses why he is giving Jerusalem into the hands of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, uh, their sins, their rebellion, with which we are quite familiar by this point in our study of Jeremiah. But the Lord reminds Jeremiah why he's doing it, uh, what they've done in their, in their idolatry, in their abominations, uh, in their sin. And so we pick up with verse 36. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city of which you say, it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place, and I will make them dwell in safety, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I brought all this great disaster upon this people, so I will bring upon them all the good that I have promised them. Fields shall be bought in this land of which you were saying, It is a desolation without man or beast. It is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Fields shall be bought for money, and deeds shall be signed and sealed and witnessed in the land of Benjamin, in the places about Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the hill country, in the cities of the Shephelah, and in the cities of the Negev. For I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask now as we study this portion of your word for your guidance and for your wisdom and for your illumination, we thank you, Father, that this is your word and that it is true and faithful and reliable. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Faith means being willing to put your money where your mouth is. The Lord was calling Jeremiah to do just that. To put his money where his mouth is. Jeremiah's message, of course, was uh, to this point predominantly one of judgment, one of uh, doom, God's wrath on his people and chastening them, disciplining them for their waywardness. But it was also uh, a message of planting, 
A message of renewal, a message of restoring. As the passage we just read ends, the Lord says, I will restore their fortunes. That expression occurs frequently in this section of Jeremiah. But Jeremiah is not just to proclaim a coming day of restoration, even as the siege works were being leveled against the city of Jerusalem, even as disease and famine were setting in, as the city city's life was choked off by the, the Babylonians surrounding the city. The Lord called on Jeremiah him to, to take an action that forced him to put his money where his mouth is by purchasing land that was currently occupied by the Babylonians. And in so doing, the Lord was not just testing Jeremiah's faith, but making Jeremiah himself a living sign of that coming restoration. And so let's look at this passage here. As the Lord uh, tells Jeremiah to make this transaction, to make this purchase, buying some land in the suburbs of Jerusalem, Anathoth actually, uh, which was uh, familiar to Jeremiah, the region from which he was uh, from, where he came from. And as we look at this chapter, a lengthy chapter, uh, I want to look at it under three sections, uh, which somehow managed to alliterate themselves, totally apart from any effort on my own, purchase of land, the prayer of Jeremiah, and then the promise of the Lord. First of all, the purchase of the land that takes place in verses 1 through 15. The situation is described in verses 1 through 5. Jeremiah is actually being held, sort of a, somewhat of a house arrest. He was imprisoned. And King Zedekiah comes to him and says, why do you keep saying these things? Uh, Zedekiah was a little bit irritated because he had already at this point uh, helped Jeremiah, protected Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is not only persisting in this message of judgment on Jerusalem, but he keeps saying with the, the king himself, Zedekiah is going to be taken off and stare eyeball to eyeball into the face of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And Zedekiah asks this rather lengthy question, in ver- beginning in verse 3, ending in verse 5, Why do you prophesy? Why do you say these things. Well, the reason Jeremiah says it is because the Lord gave that message to him and told him to say it, and of course, those things came true. Now, it was a treasonous message to proclaim these things, but they they came true. Uh, As you well know, Jeremiah fell to the Babylonians. Zedekiah himself was taken away, and his sons and his sons were slain before his eyes, and then his eyes were put out. Uh, so what Jeremiah said was, of course, absolutely true. And it's in that context, then, that this offer comes to Jeremiah in verses 6 through 8. The word of the Lord came to me, says, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you. In other words, his cousin, uh, Hanamel, the name means God is gracious. It's the only time this name occurs in Scripture is going to come to you and he's going to make you an offer. He's going to say, buy my field that is in Anathoth. For the right of redemption by purchase is yours. And the Lord told him this was what was going to happen. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Verse 8, then Hanamel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, buy the field, buy my field that is at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. For the right of possession and redemption is yours, buy it for yourself. 
Now, this is interesting because the last time we heard anything about Jeremiah's relatives, they, along with many other people, were very much opposed to Jeremiah. In fact, it seemed that some of them, at least, were trying to take his life. So this would seem to indicate some thawing of the relationship, maybe an effort at peacemaking, or maybe just desperation on the part of Hanamel. But uh, this was a, definitely an offer Jeremiah could uh, refuse. This is a little bit like buying swamp land in South Louisiana, uh, because at the time, uh, this land was under the possession of the Babylonians, being outside the city walls of Jerusalem where it was. This land was, uh, in effect, worthless. But Jeremiah is the kinsman redeemer for this portion of the land. You'll recall that, that law, that principle that was established to help keep land within families. We encounter that uh, principle of, uh, uh, of redemption most uh, uh, clearly, perhaps, in the book of Ruth, where Boaz is Ruth's kinsman redeemer, yet there was one who was closer in relation than himself, and that man had offer a first refusal, which he does. He refuses to buy the land and take Ruth as his wife, and that leaves the door open then for Boaz uh, to purchase the land to take Ruth as his, his, as his wife. Well, that's a similar principle that is at work here. And uh, maybe Hanamel, uh, his cousin, was looking for a way to get rid of this worthless land. And, oh, by the way, Jeremiah, you're the uh, kinsman redeemer here. So uh, you need to buy this land. Jeremiah probably never would have done it, except the Lord told him this was going to happen. And it happened exactly the way that the Lord said. And that, it, Jeremiah says something very interesting there in uh, verse 8. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. Very rarely does Jeremiah show any hesitation about knowing what was the word of the Lord or what was not. Although, as we've seen, at times with some of the messages of the false prophets, he seemed almost tempted to believe that what they were saying was true, that, that, Jer- that Jerusalem wouldn't fall or that the exile would not last very long at all before everyone came back and life went on. But um, the Lord told him his cousin would come, and in fact his cousin comes and makes him the very offer the Lord spoke of. It kind of reminds you of Peter, you know, when the Lord showed him the vision of the sheet lowered with the unclean animals uh, and, and, and it told him to take and eat the animals, the unclean animals, and immediately after that, the, uh, the the servant comes, the messenger comes from Cornelius, inviting Peter to come to Cornelius and preach the gospel to him and to those of his family gathered with him. And so Jeremiah says, you know, I knew this was from the Lord when this actually happened the way that uh, the Lord had told me it would. Well, then we have the deal where the purchase actually is made. A fascinating uh, section, actually, just from the historical standpoint of uh, seeing how transactions were made in a day really before coins as such. Uh, the, the money was weighed out, uh, signed out by weight, 17 shekels of silver. We don't know if that's a high price, a low price, because we don't really know how much land is involved in this transaction. Uh, there's some reason to believe it was relatively small, not some vast holding, but a relatively small piece of land, 17 shekels. And they go through this legal process of the transaction of the deeds. Uh, it's sealed, it's witnessed, it's signed, copies are made. And we, we also have here reference to Baruch, uh, Jeremiah's uh, scribe uh, and assistant, he, uh, he's referred to later in the book as well, but he is given uh, charge of this transaction and uh, is told to take them and put them in an earthenware vessel that will preserve them. All of this to signify, verse 15, 
For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. So Jeremiah is to make this purchase as a sign uh, at great liability to himself that the restoration he is prophesying will indeed come to pass. So he makes the transaction. He's purchased this land, which is currently held uh, by the Babylonians. And then Jeremiah seems to suffer some buyer's remorse. He seems to have some second thoughts about what he so quickly and boldly did. And that leads us then to the second section of this passage, and that is the prayer of Jeremiah in verses 16 through 35. It really uh, is just two parts, Jeremiah's prayer and then the Lord's answer to the things that he prays. So verses 16 through 25, Jeremiah's prayer. Interesting prayer. Uh, because Jeremiah seems to pray through uh, a form that may be familiar to you as he prays. It's a, it's a prayer that contains praise of God. It's a, a prayer that contains uh, thanksgiving to God. It's a prayer that contains uh, confession and his concerns. And it's a prayer that contains uh, assurance of who God is. So let's look at it. First of all, his praise to God is in verses 16 through 19. Uh, where he, he goes before the Lord, acknowledges that the Lord is the creator, acknowledging, verse 17, nothing is too hard for you. And in fact, uh, as is often the case with a uh, mature uh, man or woman of God who knows God's word, uh, the scriptures come out in prayer, praying, uh, maybe even not even consciously, the language of scripture. And that's exactly what Jeremiah does here. Verse 18, and if you were here this morning, it should be a familiar verse. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. Uh, A reflection of the passage we read in Exodus uh, 34, where the Lord declares his name to Moses, and that uh, he's a God of steadfast love, but he's also a God who uh, will not uh, quit the wicked. And you see that coming through in Jeremiah's prayer. It would have been steeped, of course, in the books of Moses. Great in counsel, verse 19, mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, uh, the omniscience of God, the omnipresence of God, that there's nothing that escapes his notice. And then in verse 20, thanksgiving to God for his redemption, for his salvation, here bringing his people out of Egypt. In verse 20, the signs and wonders have made a name for yourself. You brought your people out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders and a strong hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror. You gave them this land. In verse 23, they entered and took possession of it. So thanksgiving to God for his redemption, which of course the Exodus was, the great redemptive work of God in the Old Testament, where he liberates his people from slavery brings them and establishes them in the land that he promised to give them. Just as in the new covenant, we are redeemed through the blood of Christ, and the Lord establishes us, and we will inherit the new heavens and the new earth. And then Jeremiah enters into confession in, in uh, verse 23, the second part of the verse. But they did not wa- obey your voice or walk in your law. They did nothing of all that you commanded them to do. Uh, a very stark acknowledgement of the sins of his people uh, they did nothing, a rather broad and condemning statement. Therefore, you've made all this disaster come upon them. Verse 24 acknowledges that, that the Lord has brought the Babylonians in judgment against his people. What you spoke has come to pass, and behold, 
You see it, but then there's assurance here. He ends on an upturn. Verse 23, Yet you, O Lord God, have said to me, Buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. Kind of a mixed hope. You said to me to do this. I've done this, even though the enemy holds this land right now. And so I think this is often the case with us. There's trust mixed with some element of struggle. Uh, where Jeremiah is, I think, in that statement, very much like the man who said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe you, Lord, you said to do it, but, you know, the Babylonians do hold this land, and I'm promising restoration, but I don't see how on earth that's ever going to happen, because Babylon, Babylon is a mighty nation, and you are judging your people. Well, that's Jeremiah's prayer, the first part of it anyway, where where Jeremiah speaks. But then we have the Lord's promises, the Lord's response to him, what he will do in verses 26 through 29. uh, The Lord says, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? You know, an answer to Jeremiah's wavering, is anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am giving this city into the hands of the Chaldeans, the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. And he tells what he will do. And he goes back and he echoes Jeremiah, verse 30 and following, reciting the sins of of Judah, Israel, that have brought this. The children of Israel and children of Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. The children of Israel have done nothing but provoke me to anger by the work of their hands, declares the Lord. And we're well aware of those indictments as we've seen them in Jeremiah. That's his prayer. Uh, and it's a, a very forthright prayer. Uh, and it really gives us uh, a, a glimpse of Jeremiah's humanity, that he is a real person, that he certainly declared the word of the Lord uh, and here very much tested to, just with financial sacrifice to trust in the Lord uh, even when it didn't look like that made any sense at all. But then we also have the word of the Lord in promise, uh, because we are in what I mentioned in, when we were looking at this uh, in December, in, in the book of Consolation, Jeremiah 31 through 33. And uh, again, the Lord emphasizes the restoration that will take place. The restoration of his covenant, verses 36 through 41 uh, he says, verse 36, it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, famine, and pestilence, as Jeremiah says. But God says in verse 37, behold, I will gather them from all the countries which I sent them in my wrath. I'll bring them back. I'll make them dwell in safety. Again, the reiteration of the essence of the covenant. They shall be my people. I will be their God. I'll give them one heart, one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I'll make with them an everlasting covenant. Fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I rejoice in doing them good and I'll plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. Which happened. The Lord did bring them back. He restored them some 70 years later after being in exile. But of course, as we talked about looking at the new covenant in chapter 31, God had much bigger plans than just bringing his people back and, and rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the wall and getting Jerusalem going again, as he said, buying of fields and these tri- the business and commerce that would again take place there. A much greater fulfillment in, in Christ uh, as uh, these blessings are given to us in a much greater and magnified way. So the restoration of God's covenant but also the restoration of commerce. 
more immediately to the point for Jeremiah, verse 42, the Lord says, Just as I brought all this great disaster upon this people, so I will bring upon them all the good I promised. Fields will be bought in this land of which you were saying it is a desolation without man or beast. It's given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Fields shall be bought for money. Deeds shall be signed and sealed and witnessed. In other words, all this will begin to take place, uh, for I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. So he says in kind of the, the, the big picture, I'm going to restore my covenant. I've not abandoned my people. I'm going to gather them, and uh, we're going to move forward. Uh, I as your God, and, and Israel as my people. But I will also restore the commerce, the transactions, more specifically to uh, calm Jeremiah's fears uh, in making this transaction. It was a sign that the Lord would restore. The Lord again assures Jeremiah, I will do that. This land will not ultimately and forever be worthless. Question. Jeremiah was willing to put his money where his mouth is. Are you? You see, Jeremiah did what he did despite his struggles, which are real and here and voiced, if only to the Lord, because he believed God's promise and the promises God has made about the future. Do you? Are you willing to put your money where your mouth is literally? By that I mean with actual money, to give generously, to give even sacrificially to further the advance of the kingdom of Christ, to make Christ known because you believe that a kingdom is coming that will supplant this king, the kingdoms of this world and will ultimately fill this world in, a, in, in the kingdom of Christ and a new heavens and a new earth. If you believe that that is true, then you will put your money where your mouth is. If you don't, then you won't. If you don't really believe that that kingdom is coming, if that seems so unreal to you or so unlikely to you, uh, then you're not going to give. You're not going to sacrifice. You're not going to put your money where your mouth is unless you actually and really believe that. Are you willing to put your money where your mouth is? Figuratively. And by that I mean your time, your effort, your prayers, your, your attention. Uh, given to seeking to further the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Efforts toward a kingdom which is, in its fullness at least, yet to come. If you do, if your faith is genuine and you do believe that kingdom is coming, yes, you will give your efforts and your time and your energies to the expansion, to the growth, to the spread of that kingdom. But if you don't, you won't. You won't sacrifice. Uh, you won't put your money where your mouth is, literally or figuratively, if you don't believe that. Because to you, it would be a little like buying swampland. It, it's not a good deal. In fact, it's a bad deal. But if you do believe those things, if, if you do put your confidence in God's promises concerning this future kingdom, then you will invest in it. You see, that's exactly where God had put Jeremiah. Yes, you're saying these things, Jeremiah, but I want you to demonstrate your own confidence in this and so test your faith and let you be assigned to others of the reality of this by um, having something invested in the outcome of what you prophesy. Remember what Peter asked Jesus after Jesus had talked with a rich young ruler? Uh, he, he, this man came up to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, well, you know the commandments. Uh, lists a few for the man, and 
And I said, yes, I've, I've kept those from my youth. And then Jesus says, okay, well, go and sell everything you have, give the proceeds to the poor, and come follow me. Jesus said to him, okay, put your money where your mouth is. And the man went away sad because he had much wealth. But really, ultimately, he put more stock in his wealth than he did the future kingdom of Christ. And so Jesus then talked about uh, to his disciples afterward the difficulty of being saved of those who are rich. And then Peter asked Jesus, what about us? We've left everything to follow you. And how does Jesus reply? Uh, you know, Peter says, we've left everything to follow you, despite the fact that for many people we know, they think we've just bought farmland or swampland in uh, Louisiana somewhere. What does Jesus say to them? This is how he answers. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Do you believe him? Do you believe what Jesus said to Peter there? Then buy the land. Follow him with all your heart, regardless of the cost. Because ultimately, it's a very good deal. You know, the missionary Jim Elliott's words still ring true after all these years. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jeremiah made that deal. How about you? Let's pray. Father, increase our faith. We live in a world that lives for the now, that lives for what it can see, that lives for what it can get quickly. Father, we believe in a kingdom that is here now, but in many ways is still hidden and the fullness is yet to come. Father, we pray that you would help us to trust your word above the messages of this world. Father, we pray that you would help us have strong faith to back up with our lives and our commitments and our priorities what we profess with our mouth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.